today. Um, the Holy Spirit's at work. I mean, the Holy Spirit's always at work, but uh, there's some times when um, the Holy Spirit just really, I don't know, for whatever reason, chooses now or, or this moment to just kind of reveal himself, and, and the Lord gets to speak to us through the Holy Spirit, and the through the prophetic word that Suzanne Russert was able to share with us, and then also having those of you that just needed prayer and needed the work of, of Christ in their life coming forward and praying. I mean, um, there's moments that, uh, that I think we get too busy with, you know, getting out of the house on time to get to church and, you know, getting here and sitting and thinking about, okay, when's this going to be done? Because I have, I have a graduation party or we've got to go to lunch with family afterwards. And, you know, the Holy Spirit just comes and says, hey, I'm... I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna take this time to do what I want to do in your life right now. And so, um, I think for some of us that have experienced the Holy Spirit, this morning was a great uh, time for us to 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 be reminded of His work in our life. But there's some people maybe in this room that you've never really experienced the Holy Spirit in your life, and and you're not quite sure what just happened, where you know uh, someone within our congregation had a word from the Lord that was shared, and it spoke to our hearts, and people came forward and were prayed and over, and and uh, and I, I'm just I'm just here to let you know that the Holy Spirit, we believe the Holy Spirit, God is at work uh, in your life. And it's not just a, it's not just a, um, you know, when you read the Bible, it's not just words on a page, but it's, it's a living word. And, and God is alive and he wants to work in, in your life. And when we read, uh, you know, read about how the early church operated and how God did miracles within the early church, the Holy Spirit is still doing those things today. Uh, you know, that, that never ended. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, and now the Holy Spirit stopped working and you're all on your own. Uh, God is spiritually working today. And so um, I just want to take a moment and, and pray, even before we get into the message, um, and just thank the Holy Spirit for being here and working today. Uh, God wants to do a work in your life. And if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit in your life, as we pray right now, just welcome Christ into your heart. Say, Lord, uh, I want to experience you fully. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want the Holy Spirit to come into my life, and I want to experience that power. So let's pray together. Jesus, we pray right now, Lord, as a congregation, Lord, that, that you will come and be with us today, Holy Spirit, that you will work among us. We will see miracles. We'll see people baptized in your Spirit, Lord. We will experience gifts that, that are not of our own, but are of you that you are giving us, Lord. And so, God, I pray for those of us that we've experienced you and we get to be reminded today of how good you are. And, God, I pray for those that have never had an experience or a touch from your Holy Spirit, Lord. Holy Spirit, will you be in those people? Give them an experience that they have never experienced, Lord, within their heart and within their life, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I fully believe that, um, you know, like I said, the Holy Spirit, as, as, we, as we look at the theology of God, the Holy Spirit is, is always working, whether we know it or not. But there are certain times where the Holy Spirit tends to, uh, I, don't, I don't know if concentrate himself is the right word, um, but there's been times, I remember a time so, so vividly um, when I was at Northwest University and we had chapel, and uh, I was... I was busy, I was, I was working on schoolwork, and I walked into the chapel, and, um, and I don't know, there was a chapel service that had just ended by the time my chapel service was getting in, and I walked into the door, and I mean, I'm not lying, it was like hitting a brick wall. 
and I realized that the service that had just gotten out, so many people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I was walking into the presence of the Lord that was actually just, you know, I was, my mind was elsewhere, but as soon as I hit that, hit that presence of the Lord there, I realized that I was about to walk into a place where God is really doing some amazing things. And I felt that here as we were praying and as so many of you were coming down, the Lord is here today and and he's working through us. And I think that's so cool. And today I want us to talk a little bit about what the church is supposed to be. Because we just experienced, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit working through us. And that's awesome. But I want us to look at, okay, so what do we do with that? What's the church supposed to do with that? Are we all supposed to come here every Sunday, the same people, and experience Christ every single Sunday? Or is there more to it? Is there, is there a mission that God has given the church that we're supposed to put this love and this experience with the Holy Spirit to work? I think sometimes we get a little too involved in the complexities of wanting to know who God is, how God works, and, and, and we get a little too complex, and we need to remind ourselves of the basics. I don't know if I've told this story before, um, and if I have, then forgive me, but um, when I was in college, uh, I was asked to go on a, a missions trip to Indonesia, and so uh, they said, Alan, would you, would you help us go on this mission trip to Indonesia? We're going to be leading um, a youth summer camp for kids in Indonesia. We're leaving on June 23rd, and it'll be a week. It'll be great. And I said, yeah, sure, that sounds good. And the leader of the camp, she ran into a conflict, and she was actually doing a study abroad in China and wasn't able to lead our team to Indonesia. And so she asked me if I would be in charge of leading our team to go from SeaTac to Hong Kong to Indonesia. And I said, well, if no one else is willing to do it, sure, I'll do it. And I said, what do I need to know? They gave me the ticket information. The, we, had a, we had a layover, so we were going to stay at a hotel in Hong Kong. I had that information. They said, here's your petty cash. Here's $2,000 in cash. Don't lose it. And I said, okay, sounds good. You know? And, uh, and, and I, I just felt this pressure that like, I had to ace this thing. If I'm going to lead this team to Indonesia, you know, I, I need to make sure that I know everything about this trip. So I studied everything about this trip. I knew what airline we were taking. I knew uh, what model of the Boeing plane that we were going to be flying on. I knew where the stewardesses slept when they were tired on that flight. I knew where they prepared the food. I knew everything about this trip. And so uh, it, it came to the day before that we were leaving uh, to go to Indonesia. And I told the team, you know, hey, everybody, you know, spend the last day visiting with your family, friends, stuff like that. I'll meet you at SeaTac in the morning and, and we'll head to our trip. And so I took that time the day before to overlook just one last time all my details. And I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading. It's June 22nd. We were supposed to leave on the 23rd. And I realized I missed something crucial and my heart dropped. See, when I had agreed to go to Indonesia on June 23rd, I didn't pay attention to the fact that our flights actually left on June 22nd. And we had an international flight that our whole team was supposed to take in 30 minutes. And that was a pretty big deal, all right? Everything worked out. We were able to get new tickets and stuff like that. But, but since then, I've always realized I was so caught up in, in stress and having to know all the complexities of how every little detail was going to get worked out that I literally missed the actual date of our flight, which is a pretty basic but a very important necessity, right? So I think as the church, sometimes we want to come in, we want to hear whoever's speaking, give us something that we've never heard before, uh, blow our minds with something um, that's going to completely radically change our life. But today I just want to go back to the basics. It's good to go back to the basics. So today I want to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. 
This is something that if you've been going to church for some time, you've probably read this many, many times. And uh, talking about salt and light, Jesus is talking to, um, to a crowd of people. And he says this, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is put on a lampstand where it gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, light, let your light shine for all to see so that everyone will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So this is something that Jesus tells his, the, the church to be. We're supposed to be salt and light. And if you look at salt, salt was a very valuable, uh, nu- nu- of nutritional value, sodium. You know, we use it even today in our cooking, but, but um, it was used as a preservative within the first century. And so uh, not only was it a preservative, but it also adds flavor. Have you ever had a meal that has no sodium, and then you add just the right amount of salt, and it tends to bring all the flavors out of the meal, right? It enhances the meal. And so what good is salt, though, if it has lost its flavor? You know, that you might as well not add it. So the idea of this is when I eat a meal and it doesn't have any salt, and then I eat a meal with the right amount of salt, I can tell a difference, right? There's something different there. You can pick it out and say, hey, this one has a little bit more salt than this meal, and this one tastes better. And we are supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be different from the world. The world is, is, is a difficult place. It's a broken place. And we're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be a different thing in the world that people can pick out and say, hey, that, that church, it enhances the world. It's good. It, we, we like that it's added to the world. Jesus also says we're supposed to be a light. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is put on a lampstand. In the first century, they had small little clay uh, oil lanterns, and they would put it on a lampstand, and that little light would, would shine the whole room. But when you're in a dark room, and you can't see, and things are difficult, and you light that lamp, you notice a difference, right? You can see something is different. It's not the darkness that it used to be. It's now light. And we are to be like that to the world. In a world that is, is dark and, and, and difficult and dreary, the church is supposed to be a light that people can look towards and say, hey, that's different. There's hope there. There's love there. There's peace there. I like that. And so we're supposed to be salt and light. We're not supposed to be like the rest of the world, and we are meant to be different. Amen. amen. We can have participation. If you agree, you can say amen. amen. All right? So I like that idea that we get to be different. I like the idea that people that have never experienced the Holy Spirit can come in here and like we experience today, they can see people come and get healing spiritually, physically, emotionally. I like that. But is that all the church is supposed to be is different? I don't think so. I think, yes, we're supposed to be different, set apart. We're not supposed to be like the rest of the world, but we see that the church has also been given a mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And I want to look today at at some of the growing pains that the early church had to go through when all of a sudden, you know, it came from the Jews kind of, you know, the Jews didn't have to worry about evangelism. They were, you know, 
in communities. They were meeting with synagogues in small communities, and they were comfortable with what they had. Everybody had the same culture, and, and everyone was, was all together. And then when, when Christ tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, they say, well, wait a minute. We're going to have to bring people that aren't like us in? What the heck? How are we going to do that, right? That is something that was new to them. And so we see that they experienced growing pains. And I think as the church, when we look at this, we know that it's great to be different and it's great to be a family. I love seeing every one of you, Taryn and I consider all of you our family and we love it and we're comfortable when we come on a Sunday and we see all the familiar faces, everybody's together. It's so enjoyable, but we have to recognize that that's not all we're supposed to do is see the same people every single Sunday. We're supposed to be growing and bringing other people in, but how do we do that? It's not easy. And in fact, there's awkwardness. And today I'm talking about outwardness, which is the awkwardness of being outward focused. We're going to experience awkwardness, but it's, it's important for us to be outward focused in order to achieve the call that God has on us as a church. See, the Jews were pretty good at being set apart. But that's natural to be set apart. It's natural to have your own community that you all have your own customs, your own culture, you know each other well, and that's where we get comfortable. And in fact, I was, I was listening to an article um, on a podcast that was, that was an archaeologist was talking about how uh, humans, as humans, were wired to be, uh, to be in tribal communities of no greater than 500, really. Um, you know, when we look back in, in the Old Testament and things, you know, a lot of nomadic tribes that would travel and stuff, I mean, they weren't huge metropolises, and that's something that has developed over time. But our DNA, our brain, we still enjoy having a small group that we belong to and, and, that, and that we get our sense of belonging from. And that's why it's super easy for us to come and see each other face-to-face and get comfortable with that. But then... We have to be like the first century church where we come and we recognize, okay, yeah, the church is a family. The church is, uh, we're supposed to be a community together and we're supposed to be here for one another, but we're also meant to go out and find people that are different than us and share the good news to them, okay? So I want us to read a little bit about these uh, Gentile conversions that the early church was experiencing and the growing pains that they experienced. If we go to Acts chapter 15, I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit. I'm going to read verses 1 through 2 and then jump down to 5 through 11. If you get, if you get lost, just stick with me here. The verses will be on the screen. Acts chapter 15, it says, While Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, some men from Judea arrived and began teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas strongly disagreed and argued with them. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to talk with the apostles and elders about this question. Okay, so Paul and Barnabas, they're in Antioch, they're, they're, they're teaching these Gentiles, non-Jews, people that are different from them, to come and, and be Christ followers. But then there's other people saying, okay, if you're from the outside and you're coming into our club, if you're coming into our group, you got to act and do everything like us. And that required circumcision. They were telling them you had to be physically circumcised in order to join the club. And Paul and Barnabas, they didn't see something right with this. So they go to Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 15, verses 5 through 11. It says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, some of the believers who belonged to the Pharisees stood up and insisted the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. 
After a long discussion, Peter stood and said, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear and the good news, uh, so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? Then in verse 19, uh, James gets up and he says, My judgment, therefore, is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So we see kind of this idea of growing pains. The church knows that we need to now go out and make disciples of all nations But now what happens when someone that's different from us comes into the club? There's going to be awkwardness there. There's going to be tension there. And at first, a lot of the believers, a lot of the Jews said, okay, you got to be just like us if you're going to join the club. But Paul and Barnabas said that doesn't make sense because if we truly believe that all it takes to be a Christian is to believe in Jesus, then it really doesn't matter whether someone's circumcised or not. And why would we be putting on to people a barrier or a hoop that they need to jump through if it's not essential, if it's going to stop Gentiles from coming to Christ. Because to be honest with you, if you told me that I had to be circumcised to be a Christian, I would probably think twice. I would probably just have to think about it for a second. I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I wouldn't, okay? But, but I'm just saying I would probably have to think about it, all right? And so what the church is saying is if God really wants us to go out among the Gentiles, people that are different from us and bring them in, we have to recognize that means they're not going to be the same as us. The early church had somewhat of a country club mentality is what I'm going to call it today. A country club mentality. I'm not going to ask who all here is a part of a country club because um, then I'd get jealous. But uh, my, my wife and I, we just got back. It was supposed to be our honeymoon trip, but we, we used it as our one-year anniversary. We had to postpone it. But we had a trip that was gifted to us to Cancun, Mexico. It was wonderful. We had to get ready, though, because it was actually hotter here when we got back than it was there in Cancun. Um, but uh, some, something that, you know, the trip was gifted to us, and when we got there, we checked in, and we are a part of, of not their, we weren't a part of their basic level of guests, we were part of like the higher up level. Um, and I know the word doesn't really translate in our American culture very well right now, but in Mexico, it's not a big deal, but they call us privileged. And uh, so we had these golden wristbands, and we were the privileged people, and I, I'm like... <laughs> You know, I, I hear pe- I'm, I'm at home and people tell me I'm white privileged all the time, and here I am in Mexico, and I can't get away from it. Um, but, you know, so we had a gold wristband, and, and that meant, you know, uh, you, got, you got a better uh, beach towel. You know, when we got and went and got our beach towels at the resort, and they would see, and, and they gave us, you know, everybody else had a normal blue towel, but they gave us these black towels that said privileged on them. And I thought, oh, man, you know, <laughs> all right, sounds good, and... And then when you go and pick your spot by the beach, you know, there's a flag waving at the end of the beach where nobody else is, and they all have better cabanas and everything, and the flag says privileged on it. And you go and sit under your privileged flag in your privileged spot. And then it came time to have dinner, and there's several restaurants there at the, at the resort, and one of the restaurants was the privileged restaurant, and you get to go in, and I'm just thinking, man, oh man, this is just the goofiest thing. But I, I'd be lying to you if it wasn't kind of nice. I kind of, you know... I'm like, hey, I'm, you know, by the end of the week, you know, I was kind of walking around, hey, everybody, you know, see this gold wristband? You know, I, I'm, I want the privilege, okay? 
But we like to do that as humans. You know, we like to have our club. We like to know that we belong to something, that we're a little bit higher up than everybody else, you know. And I think sometimes when the church gets too inward focused, too inward focused on how we like to do things or, or, or everyone that we know and, and, and we lose sight of the outward focus that the church should be, we kind of have that country club mentality sometimes. You know, this is the way we do things. This is, you know, this is my country club, my people. And if someone walks in that doesn't act anything like us and they walk in, we kind of, we're like, whoa, that's different. That's a little weird, right? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I don't see what Paul what he's going to add to this, this discussion here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 19 through 23. Paul says, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I lived too under that law, even though I am not subject to that law. I did this so that I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God and I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So Paul's idea here is, and granted, he does mention that he's not going to give up his faith or he's not going to give up his own personal beliefs or, or anything or his salvation, but, but he will do whatever it takes. In the NIV, it says he will be anything to anyone if it means saving some. And I like this idea that the, that the New Living Translation says, where it says that we like to find common ground with those people. See, Paul recognized if I'm going to be with Jewish people living under Jewish law and experiencing their culture... And if I want to share Jesus to them, share the good news to them, share the light to them, but if I'm so different from them that when it comes time for me to speak, they, they don't understand what I'm saying, they don't connect with me, they don't think that we have any common ground, then I'm, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to fall to deaf ears. I'm not, I'm not really going to be heard. And it's the same way with him when he was speaking to the Gentiles. He was speaking to the Gentiles, but if he was trying to push his Jewish culture onto the Gentiles... If he was so different from the Gentiles that when it came time for him to preach the good news that they didn't want to listen, then what's the point? And so his idea is we have to find, as a church, we have to find common ground with those outsiders. We have to find common ground with the outsiders so that when they encounter the church, they recognize, hey, those people are just normal people. Because I think sometimes when we do things, things can look weird. If nobody's ever experienced someone getting a word from the Lord and coming into the microphone and, and, and speaking, that, that might be strange to somebody. It might be strange for someone to think, man, I, I have to walk down there and they're going like, to lay hands on me and there's some weird oil they're going to put on me. Oh man, they're drinking blood and, and bread and that was fine, but now they're talking about body and blood and all this stuff. It can be weird to someone that doesn't understand, right? And so... I'm not saying that we need to get rid of those things at all, because again, we're supposed to be different and we shouldn't be giving up our beliefs, um, but we have to do whatever we can to try and find common ground with outsiders and welcome them in and try and make it easy for them to come in and say, hey, you know, I went to church and it wasn't as weird as I actually thought, you know, <laughs> it wasn't as weird as I actually thought. Have you ever, like, I remember when I was a kid, 
And I would have friends that belonged to really large families, and they would invite me over to, to dinner, and I would go, and I'd sit down, and I would try and be polite, and I'd just sit there and, you know, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, you know, uh, please, and all that stuff. And, uh, but it would just be really weird in larger families because they all had their own kind of humor that would develop within their family. Their family had their own culture. And if I was the only one sitting there, I just felt like an outsider, right? And I think that we have to recognize that people that aren't a part of the church, when they come in, they're probably going to feel that way too. There's going to be this awkwardness because they're not a part of the family yet and they don't understand. And so we have to knowingly try to remind ourselves that we need to break down any barriers that there are that would inhibit someone from, from coming into the church. I, um, a story that I, I want to share is um, I was... I was uh, what's the word, applying for, for life insurance recently. And uh, I didn't realize that you had to have that, but my wife says she wants me to have it, so whatever. Um, <clears throat> I'm coming of age. It's an adult thing. I thought, man, life insurance, that's something my dad has. And uh, anyway, so it, it came time for me to get my life insurance, but, but I needed a nurse to come and, and check me out or, or, or whatever for the, for the application. So this nurse comes into the house, and you know, she has me set up, and she's doing blood tests, blood pressure, all this stuff. She asks what I do, and I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor at the church, and, and you could tell she just kind of got a little bit more tense, you know, <laughs> it's okay, you know, it's, it's fine, and, uh, and I experience that sometimes too. If you talk to other pastors, for, for me, whenever I'm getting a hair, my hair cut by a barber that I don't know, and he asks me what I do, and, uh, and then I say I'm a pastor, and then he realizes that he just like use several swear words like in our interaction and then he like apologizes profusely and all this stuff but they get like there's this awkwardness there because they think I'm just so different from them and in fact this this nurse that was taking my blood pressure she said well you know she got she got more comfortable as as we were as we were going through the process and at the end she said well you know I just want to thank you because yesterday I went and saw a pastor in a different town and um and I was just judged the entire time. Because she works in the medical industry, she had to wear a mask when she was walking in. And the pastor said, I don't believe in, in the mask. You have to take that off to come in and, and take my blood pressure. I don't, you know, you should be reading your Bible. You should be reading your Bible. You shouldn't be afraid of a, of a, of a silly, you know, political disease or whatever. And she said, I just felt super judged. And, and I came in and, and, you know, I was just recognized that, you know, pastors can be just normal people. And I said, yeah, we can be, you know. But she had that preconceived notion of what, you know, when I said I'm a pastor, she thought, oh, yesterday this was a mess. You know, these church people are just a mess. And, and as I, I communicated with her, she recognized, the walls came down, she recognized, hey, this guy's just a normal guy. And I said, yeah, I, I say, to be honest, you know, the majority of pastors aren't like that, I promise. You know, but, but she, she experienced that judgment. And so when we reach out to people on the outside, we have to recognize that they have preconceived ideas of what the church is. Maybe they've never walked into a church and all they see is what CNN says or, or, or what some other anti-church groups say. And, and, um, and, and then they get this idea that the church is a bad place or they're going to receive judgment or they're going to receive, um, you know, they're not going to be welcomed in or, or whatever it is. And so when they finally get the guts to come and check out a church for whatever reason it is, we have to make sure that, hey, we don't, we don't confirm those ideas in their head, right? That they come in and they see something different. They recognize, wow, I feel welcome. But it's going to be awkward. We have to deal with the awkwardness of being outward focused. There's always this balance between should the church be inward focused, focused on those people that are already here within the room, 
focused on growing everyone here within a part of the that are a part of the family and growing their roots deeper? Or should the church be outward focused, more focused on bringing new people in? And a good church has to learn how to do both, realistically, okay? We have to learn how to do both. I'm not saying today that we shouldn't focus on those of you that are in the room. WFA, we care a lot about discipleship, and, and that's why we have things like our journey that we've been doing on Wednesday nights, a Bible study that you can join us with. Um, that's why we like having small groups. I know in the past season, a lot of small groups took a little hiatus, but we're, we're excited in the next year or so to be getting more small groups going for more of that further deep discipleship. That's why we care so much about our family ministries and our, our, you know, our youth ministries and our kids' ministries, caring about meeting kids and discipling them at their age where they can you know, understand it better. We care about discipleship. We care about being inward. But I think there's a lot of churches that hope that if the church is inward-focused and just puts all of our eggs on, on discipling those that are within the church, then those people will eventually get to a point where they go and share with their friends and bring them in. And I like that idea, but I don't see it work very well. Because if that was the case, I mean, how many people are in this room? You know, 100, 200? You know, next week we should have 400, you know? But that doesn't happen. We, we're not supernatural at going and sharing things. I'm not even supernatural at going and inviting my friends to church. Because it's kind of an awkward thing. And, and, and they don't understand, and, and you're afraid that they're going to see us as, as too different. And, and it's strange. But... What we can do is have a good discipleship system set up and then have, as a church, us reminding ourselves constantly that we're going to be comfortable in the inward, but we need to be focused on the outward. We need to be going out in our community, bringing people in, and it's not going to be super comfortable because we're always going to settle for what's most comfortable. But if we keep reminding ourselves, this is the mission of God, to go out amongst the nations and, and disciple those people that are different from us then I think we can see a revival here within our community. I think the fact that this morning we were able to experience the Holy Spirit in, in the way that we were, people coming down and, and, and getting prayed over and anointed with oil, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is at work. It's not that the reason we don't have revival today is because the Holy Spirit's not here. But we have to recognize, we have to be a people that together we're going to say, yeah, discipleship's important, but we're not going to settle for what's comfortable. We're going to go out and press against what's uncomfortable and bring people in that have never heard about Jesus before so that we can grow the kingdom because that's what Christ wants us to do. Amen. I'm going to welcome the uh, worship team up as I, as I finish today. If we do this well, you know, and like I said, we're going back to the basics. I'm not giving this message because I think that we're all um, comfortable and we need to go out. I, I you know, I, I, I'm speaking to the, I'm preaching to the choir here, really. I mean, I understand that as a community, nobody in this room is against evangelism. I, I know that. But again, we have to go back to the basics sometimes and remind ourselves. Because naturally, we're always going to settle for what's comfortable. We're always going to settle for what's comfortable. I do it all the time. When I come in a, on a Sunday morning, I like seeing all the people that I always see every Sunday and it's comfortable. And then if someone were to come in that's drug addicted or homeless, I get, a, whoa, that's off. That's different than what I'm used to, you know, because that's not who I normally see, right? But if we want to truly be the church, if we want to truly be the church, we're going to start seeing people from outside that have never been in and heard the good news of Jesus before come in. And it's going to be very different. But that's what we're supposed to be. That's what the Jews recognized. Hey, 
we're going to go to these Gentiles that don't have any of our culture. They're not circumcised. They don't follow the same food laws as we do. And it's going to be strange. And we don't really know how we're going to all interact together. But we know that it's the mission of God that he wants to grow the kingdom to the outside people, to the outsiders and bring them in. So today as we end, I just want us to kind of think about you know, what are some ways that maybe we have a country club atmosphere sometimes? Some ways that maybe we act or, or maybe we just always go at church and talk to our friends that we're friends with because that's what we're comfortable with. What are some ways that we can in the future break down barriers that welcome outsiders in? Like I said, WFA, we're, we love discipleship. That's why we have the programs that we have in order to disciple the people that are already within the church. But we also love outreach. And that's why we partner with, with community housing initiatives or, or homeless programs and food programs and things to meet people outside the community where they're at so that they recognize, oh, a, a church gave me this meal? I thought church was this, but here they are giving me a meal when I'm hungry. And it makes them more easily attracted to to hearing the word of God. Amen? WFA also deeply cares not only about discipleship, but again, sharing the news of Jesus and and making it easier, trying to find common ground with those that are outside of, of these walls, outside of the church. Something super simple. I'm really excited for our, uh, our VBS. I'm going to call it a VBS, Vacation Bible School, because that's really what it is. But we did a, a, a little shift in the name. We're simply just calling it our, our kids' summer day camp. And, and I think sometimes as parents, you know, especially young families, when a parent is going and, and registering their kids for camps and things like that, VBS might not be in their mind that they want their kids to go to a VBS. Because maybe... I don't know, they had a bad experience at a VBS or think their kids are going to be indoctrinated with the Bible. They will be, don't, don't tell them. But, but we, we just shifted the name, Summer Day Camp. And, and when parents go on, they see, okay, I'm registering my, this kid for baseball camp and football camp, soccer camp, uh, theater camp, all this stuff. And while they're doing that, because that's what parents do, you know, at the beginning of summer, they try and, how many, how many things can I do to give my kids to someone else this summer? But when they do that, they see, oh, a WFA Kids Summer Day Camp. And then they see, hey, within that day camp, uh, they get to play soccer and football and Frisbee and do art. And they even get to learn, we have STEM activities that we're doing, science and math and physics and stuff. And they start to see value. Hey, that's pretty cool. I think we're going to try it out. And that, just by that little name change, gets someone just a little bit more comfortable signing their kids up if they don't have any experience with church before than they would if, if we were to ask someone who's unchurched, hey, do you want to give your kids to a Bible camp for the summer? That, that might not hit well. And I'm not against the VBS name because it is a vacation Bible school. We're going to come in here. There's going to be kids. Um, we can have up to 60 kids. We're already halfway there. Um, and th- there's going to be 30 to 60 kids that are going to come in this room and they're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to read the Bible and, and they're going to experience Jesus, some of them for the very first time. We have more kids signed up that are not a part of our church than those that are. And so we need to find ways to connect with those outsiders. And that when they come in, when, they, when, the, when the parents drop their kids off, they recognize, hey, this place isn't all that weird. These, peop- these people are normal. You know, they're, they're normal and they care about our kids. Something else we're doing, we ordered these WFA Kids drawstring backpacks. 
And something we're gonna do is any new kid, any new family that comes and visits, they're gonna get a drawstring backpack and inside's gonna be a Frisbee, a free Bible, a parent guide for the parents so they can understand, you know, how to check in, check out, program, stuff like that. And even a simple gift like that can really bring a wall down for someone who's never been in church before. And I think that as a church today, again, we care about the discipleship, but we gotta remember, let's not settle for the N-word, let's deal with the awkwardness and, and be focused on being more outward. How can we bring people in? So think about that this week. What are some ways that maybe we have had barriers up that, that we don't even recognize? That someone that comes in doesn't, who doesn't understand church can feel like an outsider. And let's try and welcome those people in. Because like I said, the Holy Spirit's at work. The reason there's, there's not revival isn't because God's not willing to bring revival, but it's, it's our hearts. We need to be a family together that's gonna say, hey, we wanna see revival. We wanna see kids come to Christ. We wanna see parents come to Christ. We wanna see people that were so against the church come to Christ. And we're gonna do whatever it takes to find common ground with those people and bring them in and welcome them in. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that, that we can come and, and we can just go back to the basics and recognize what's, what's the church supposed to be? We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be different. Something, something that people will recognize as different than the rest of the world. But we also need to be anything to anybody if it means winning them to Christ. We need to be so focused on bringing outsiders in. Lord, we thank you that Yes, we have great discipleship programs at this church. We thank you that we care about those that are within the church. But Lord, we also pray that all of us together, we could recognize that we're not gonna settle for always what's comfortable, but we're gonna fulfill your mission. We're gonna go out amongst the nations, within the nations and bring those outsiders in. And that is our mission today, Lord. God, I thank you so much for this family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.